If you are visiting with us, it might seem odd, maybe not, but if it is odd to you, we, we believe the Bible is God's word. It has life's answers to it, and it points us to the truth about why we're here and where we're going, and so we, we carefully want to respect and listen to it and be changed by it. So we're going through a study of the book of James where James is exposing us to the idea that true Christian faith is not just, oh, I believe in the Lord, but rather true Christian faith displays itself in how it responds to trials, like litmus test. Now, that's not, it's not legitimate how it speaks to other people, how it shows itself in good works. And this morning, we're going to talk about wisdom and how true Christian faith relates to the subject of wisdom. I want you to imagine if I were to start off today by saying, I'm going to need a, uh, maybe about 15 volunteers. Now, if you wouldn't mind, I'm looking for people that are a little bit, you know, like you're, you're considered in the upper echelon as far as, you know, you're clever. Maybe, you know, you have a higher IQ and you know, it's not bragging, you're just a little bit more bright than the rest of us. Now, of course, if you raise your hand, then we would sort of go, well, now let's talk about humility. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's really interesting that this passage begins with the question, James chapter 3, if you have your Bible, verse 13, who among you is wise and understanding? Like, like, like think about that. If, if I were to begin by saying, how many of you are really wise and, you know, you, you're, you're very capable, very, very intellectually clever? I doubt that most of us would raise our hand, though perhaps many of us would raise our heart, like, well, you know, I mean, just saying. So the very fact that he asks that question makes me say, all right, why is James asking it? So as you're learning to read the Bible, he, he has a, a message that God has given him. How does this relate to the context? Well, if you look back in chapter 3, verse 1, he said, let not many of you become teachers, right? So, so there we talked about the idea of what are your motives? Why would anybody want to be a teacher? Well, maybe because, boy, people look up to you. I mean, sometimes students will ask me, some of you know I teach at Karen, which do you, do you prefer me to call you professor? I'm like, well, I'm just saying, I mean, you know. There, there's, this, there's this temptation, right? It goes back as early as second grade. Remember in second grade when the teacher asked, um, does anyone know the answer? No one knew it, but you raised your hand, and you knew it, and she affirmed you. That's really excellent, outstanding, and, 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 you, and you felt so good, like, wow, it feels good to be considered smart. And, and so, so all of us then begin that, that journey of saying, maybe that's where I can make an impression. I can be smart. I can be thought of as bright. Now, some of you early on, you're like, that wasn't going to work for me. You know, I'm stupid. I had a learning disability or whatever. And I'm like, please, don't, don't think that way because we're going to learn that there's, a, there's different types of wisdom. And it's interesting because different cultures value, right? Different families value smart, clever education. And, and even in America, it's not, it's not a, a single unified theme. I mean, you come to a, a red light and you got two bumper stickers. One says, my kid is an honor student, right? And I've seen this one. Another one says, my kid beat up your honor student. I'm going, <laughs> what? Right? So, you know, my, some of you went to a school where, you know, you, you were honored for doing your homework. Some of you went somewhere where you were mocked for doing your homework. But as James asked this question, who is wise and understanding, I think he's first 
directing himself to people who want to teach others. Like, I would like to start teaching others the Bible. And that's a really good thing. But it can also be a very bad thing if it comes from the wrong motives and for the wrong reasons. So what I want you to think about is as we, as we go on in this passage, right, it's a chance for us to estimate whether we're really good at not just teaching, but do you consider yourself a pretty good parent? You're like, you know, I'm not bragging, but I'm just saying. I mean, I got this. I'm a pretty good spouse. Or, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm exceptional at work, but I sure wouldn't say I'm ordinary. So there's a number of places that you could apply this, okay? But even in our Christian relationships, what we're going to find is that James is going to teach us that the way that we might be appraising ourselves might be very wrong. And so at the end of the day, we're going to talk about wisdom and we're going to ask a couple questions like, as a result of this passage, what might Jesus want me to change in how I view wisdom? What's my perspective of wisdom? And then how might I have to change in terms of what it means to practice wisdom? Because I thought to practice wisdom means you win the argument. And then third, what about my pursuit of wisdom? Is it really, do I even think about how important it is to gain and, and grow in godly wisdom? So James basically is going to go, one of these things is not like the other. There's godly wisdom and ungodly wisdom. So we're going to start with, with verse 13, and we're going to learn that, let me put the slide up here. Godly wisdom is manifested in gentle behavior. So let's, let's pray together, and then we're going to read verse 13. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Please help us to think about how important it is to apply this to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So he says, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show it. Let him show it. Now, if, if you were to say, yeah, I'm, I'm quite competent. In fact, interestingly, the word here translated understanding is a word that's used of an expert. Who among you is an expert? Who among you is, is I got this. I'm really good at this. I mean, some of us who aren't quite at the top of the, 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 the drawer in terms of general ed, you know, remember when you played Trivial Pursuit? You know, the only piece of pie that you ever raised your hand on was like, I'll take sports and leisure, you know. You never really were able to engage with the sciences and mathematics and all. But, but he goes, let him show it. Now, we would think he would say, let him show it by telling us some big vocabulary words. But he says, let him show it how? Let him show it by his good behavior, his deeds. So the first thing we learn is that godly wisdom, God's type of wisdom, shows up, not in what you say with your clever speech, but in how you live, your behavior. And interestingly, what he focused on first here is that the place that you show it is in the place of gentleness. Gentleness. Now, this word gentleness is sometimes translated meekness. And in the first century, it was not thought to be a good thing. In Greek culture, to be meek was like, ew, that's like, that's, that's what servants do, just kind of like this passive, weak, milk toast, kind of like sort of when, when Jesus is viewed as it's just like, 
blessed are you is this little pale guy. He's like, oh, stop. You know, this, and so sometimes people look at meekness as, ew, why would I want to be like that? And yet Jesus, when he was on earth, he said, come and learn from me because I'm meek. I'm gentle. Right? And then, then he throws down in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And you're going, no, yeah, so what, what are you saying here, Jesus? We've got to become a bunch of doormats and people just walk all over us? That's not how it works in life. And James is going, well, yeah, actually, we're not worried about how you think it works in life. What does God say? So he pronounces this statement. If you have godly wisdom, it's going to show up in the way that you manifest gentleness to other people. And, and ironically, this word is used many, many times in the New Testament to talk about different ways that we interact with people. So, for example, in, in um, Galatians, when Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit. So he says, if you're walking in the flesh, you're going to be angry and strife and impure and drunkenness. And th-. He goes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness. Like, you're meek to other people, Right? He says in Galatians 6, if you as a Christian know of another Christian who's in sin, restore them, he says, but do it with a spirit of gentleness. You know, if someone else is, is, is falling into sin, come, come alongside them, but do it real gently. In, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul says to Timothy, flee from these godless things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, faith. Pursue gentleness. Like, this is a valuable quality that we have to cultivate. You're like, why are you telling me this? Well, how do, you, how do you speak to your kids, right? How do you speak to your spouse? How do you speak to your neighbors? How do you speak about your neighbors? What do you say about the guy who cuts you off? Titus chapter 3 actually says this. Remind the Christians to speak evil of no one, to be uncontentious and gentle, showing consideration for all men, for we ourselves were once foolish, so then we get into the realm of politics. Those morons, how can they believe this? Those idiots. And James is going, no, that's not, that's not godly. That's not godly wisdom. So, okay, James, I hear you. So talk to me. He says, all right, so let me tell you what ungodly wisdom looks like. And this is kind of scary. Because he doesn't pull back. He goes, you might even think you're, you're quite capable he goes, when in fact, you might actually be selfish, sinful, and Satan-like. He goes, if you act like that, that's demonic. Right? Now, some of you are like, man, I'm glad so-and-so's here so they can hear that. That's scary. If that's all you're thinking about is, yes, yeah, somebody else needs to hear that. So look what he says in verse 14, because frankly, we've all seen this in ourselves. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy in your heart, so the first thing he focuses on is jealousy. Now, the Greek word for jealousy, zelon, is we translate it zeal. Like zeal is a good thing, passion and zeal. Jesus had zeal. In fact, when he, when he um, cleared out the temple, the, the scripture says, zeal for, the, your, your, for your father's house will consume you. So, there's, so the word can be a good thing, but there could be ugly zeal. And that's what James calls bitter. And there it's translated jealousy. And so he says, if you have these intense negative feelings toward other people who might have achievements or successes, right? 
And, and as a parent, you're trying to teach your kids, why? It's not fair, right? So you're going, but yeah, well, you might want to teach yourself because maybe we don't manifest it. But if you have these in your heart, you know, bitter jealousy, which you could see this going on in a church, right? Maybe they have two or three different house fellowships and they're like, don't go to their church, go to our church. And so James says, if you have that in your heart, he goes, do me a favor, stop talking. Look what he says. He says, if you have bitter jealousy in your heart, don't be arrogant. Meaning, don't, don't tell people how smart you are because by doing that, he says, you are lying against the truth. That's one of the hardest pills to swallow, right? Is when somebody acts this way, but they say this. He goes, hello, one of these things is not like the other. You are contradicting what it's supposed to look like in a Christian, but boy, you are claiming that you're somebody that you're not. He goes, that's a lie against the truth. Stop making the truth look bad. Okay, so if I'm kind of like jealous, is that not a good thing? Yeah, he says, in fact, if you're like that, and, and, and you're, you're smarter than others, and you've got to show them you're right, he goes, this wisdom does not come from above. Now, it's interesting that he says that. Why doesn't he just say, that's not good wisdom? What is he talking about comes from above? Well, you can get your wisdom from two directions, up there or down there, right? So the reason he uses the phrase from above, I think, is because back in chapter 1, he says, every good gift comes down from above from God. But secondly, the way that it's downloaded from above in chapter 1 is through prayer. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So you know what's scary? There are people who really know their Bibles really well, but they're mean and, and, and argumentative. And James is going, if, if that's how you are, you don't understand wisdom. That's, that's, he says three things about it. He says, that's not God's wisdom. He says, number one, he says that type of wisdom is earthly, verse 15. Now, the word earthly sometimes is just neutral. Like Paul says, there's earthly, earthly bodies and heavenly bodies. But sometimes it's negative. Like in Philippians 3, Paul describes false teachers. He says, these, these people, their God is their belly. They just mind earthly things. All they're worried about is the stuff down below. And it's interesting because we call that your worldview. It's kind of like, how do you look at what goes on in life? Do you just think about it on a horizontal level, disconnected from God? When things happen, like a shooting or uh, when we have political things, like do we even think about God or what does the Bible say about it? Or are you purely thinking from the domain of what's it going to take to get things done around here and so that I can have a better life? So he says it's earthly. Secondly, he says it's natural. Now, why would anything be wrong if it's natural? Like, it's natural for me to feel this way. But the word natural, literally in Greek, sukikos, has to do with that which is the opposite of spiritual. Okay? So in the Bible, it actually says unbelievers are sukikos. They're natural. They can't, under thing, they can't understand the things of the Bible because the Bible is spiritual. So consequently, when someone goes, you believe the Bible? <laughs> that stupid old book. They're actually manifesting what the Bible says. They're natural. They're acting according to, to their capacities. They don't have the Holy Spirit. 
But when you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, now you're learning to think spiritual things and to view things from the Bible. That was the world might think, that's ridiculous. And we go, no, it's not. It's God. So, so on earth, natural and unspiritual, human feeling, human reason, that's what prevails, right? I was just, I was just thinking about this as I was writing yesterday. I saw this sign, planned parenthood. Well, that seems so natural. Every woman should have a right to plan her own parenthood, whether or not she wants to be a parent. And I'm going, yeah, but what she doesn't have a right is to plan the termination of someone else's life. Even though naturally, well, you know, it's sensible. Why bring a kid into the world if they can't? So, so there's a way to look at things from Scripture, and then there's a way to look at things from man's viewpoint. In fact, he goes on to go, and, and if that doesn't grab you, how about the third one? Wisdom is selfish, sinful, and it's Satan-like. He says it's earthly, natural, and demonic. Okay, now please don't say that to someone else. Like, you know, your spouse says, I think this. You go, that's of the devil, you know. <laughs> you sound like Bobby Boucher's mother. They're of the devil. Like every, but, but just get it in your heart. Like, wow, so I could actually be Satan's helper, or I could be thinking like Satan. And don't think you can't do that because Peter did. Peter says to Jesus, you're not going to die ever, not on my watch. And Jesus goes, stop talking, Pete. Get behind me, Satan. Right? Like, when we say things that are contrary to the Bible. So, so this is why I have to learn to think biblically. So, so Psalm chapter 1 says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Some of you may be getting therapy and counsel from people who are not giving you godly biblical advice. And just because they have a little shingle that says Christian counselor, that doesn't always mean that they're giving you godly biblical advice. Say, you know, could you help me to see that in the Bible? Let's reasonably talk about this. And part of the reason for that is God thinks very differently from our sinful minds. Isaiah 55 says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So as I read this passage, I'm going, gosh, I don't want to fall into this and and think I'm a really good, smart or even a Christian that knows my Bible, but I'm mean and selfish and quarrelsome with others, that's sinful and Satan-like. So he says, for where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, and that word selfish ambition has the idea of like, like this partisan spirit, like kind of what we see in politics, egocentric, selfish attitudes. He says, where those things exist, there's disorder, right? Confusion. And, you know, this is sad, but it breaks out in churches, right? All of a sudden we got, you ever, like, think about this? You're like, where do you go? Do you go to First Baptist in in this town? No, we're at Second Baptist. I even know of a town that has Third Baptist. And I'm going, is it me? That, That doesn't, like, It'd be like when Jesus was on earth. Do you remember this? John the Baptist had the biggest Baptist church in the world, right? And then they said to John the Baptist, did you know Jesus' disciples are making more disciples than you? They're baptizing more than you are, Jesus, John chapter 3. Now then, imagine John saying, well, that's fine, but he better not use our name because we're first Baptist. So Jesus could start second Baptist, but no. So he goes, when we get like that, even in the name of Christianity, when leaders are more interested in their own ambitions then edifying the body, he goes, that's not from God. In fact, look what he says about that. He says, there is disorder and every evil thing. 
Okay? When you use a phrase like every evil thing, that's a big deal. Because maybe some of you remember this verse in the Bible. The love of money is the root of all evil. Now, that, that's how it's translated in the King James Bible. That's not a good translation in that phrase because it doesn't mean all evil. Every single bad thing that people do, the devil didn't rebel against God for the love of money. It, most of the newer translations translate it, it's, it's a root of all kinds of evil, right? And you could open up the paper and, fi- and probably find 10 different evil things that people, people did. And, and if you trace the trail, you probably find money involved somewhere, you know. But it's not the root of every evil. But notice what James says about when you have this ungodly selfishness, argumentative, have to be right. He says, do you understand that that's a root of every kind of evil? Like, like you, are, you are becoming a cesspool to produce all kinds of confusion and conflict. You know, even think about in your home. Is, is your home characterized by chaos and disorder? It's interesting when he says... This kind of wisdom is, is disorder. This is the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians when he says, if someone came, came to your church and everybody's speaking in tongues at once, blah, 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 he goes, they'll think you're crazy. Don't do that. He said, God is not a God of confusion. That's the word, disorder. So Paul says, let's do all things decently and in order. And I get it, trying to get your kids to be reasonable and orderly. It's not like, you know, it's like herding cats. It's not going to happen overnight. But, but just in general, to, to just have this chaos mode, that's not from God. That's not what God desires. And that's not what he, he wants us to, to live. So you're like, okay, James. Okay, I get it. So, so finally, James says, so, so what our goal should be is a godly wisdom. There is a good wisdom and this is the wisdom that God wants you to have. And interestingly, he lists a bunch of, of just, it's like this and like this. And most of them are not so much on your cleverness, but on what it produces. So it's almost like James is going, I want you to have a new view of what it means. So if you think you're clever, bright, smart, you're competent at work, your job, good teacher, good with people, he goes, all right, let's have a different way to assess that. Not, not you know, how much you get done or how much money you make or... How, how much you're right, or whether you won the Jeopardy, but rather, what, what's, what's, what's it producing in your life? So he says, first of all, the wisdom from above is first pure. Really? Pure? What does purity have to do with being wise? He doesn't just say it's, it's pure. He says it's first pure. First pure. Why does he say that? Well, because Jesus cares about Christian purity. In fact, in James chapter 1, James says, you want to know what real religion looks like? If you, if you call yourself a Christian, he says, visit orphans and widows, but then he says, keep yourself unstained by the world, right? So if you're coming here and you're praising the Lord, reading the Bible, and you're home looking at porn or having an emotional affair, or lying to others, living a double life, cheating on your taxes. You know, these things that stain our souls. James says, if you're living out God's wisdom, it's going to be pure. And I get it. We're all struggling with our thoughts, but we can't just go, well, 
What's that have to do with whether I'm wise? It has a lot to do with whether I'm wise. And these are things that I must address in my life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so if you have glaring impurities that you know, I shouldn't talk that way, or I shouldn't be listening to this music, or I shouldn't be doing this, right? Then James goes, then you're not, you're not catching what God has for you. But on the other hand, if you have this spirit like, yeah, well, I'm not like those bad, impure people. I don't shoot drugs. I'm, like, I'm a good Christian, right? And you're aggressive and you're prideful. James is going, no, no, you're missing it too. So he says it's first pure, but then notice some of these qualities. He says it's, it's peaceable. Well, the idea of somebody who's peaceable, you ready for the next one? The next one, it's translated gentle, okay? Now, this word gentle is different from the one we just saw, meekness. This one means yielding, not insisting on every letter of the law. Right? Even when it comes to Christians disagreeing, there are some things that are really important that you can't go, oh, well, you think Jesus is the only way. I don't think so. Like, we can't yield on that. But on secondary issues that are not dogmatic and clear, like whether women should wear head coverings or things like that, the Bible talks about God's wisdom being gentle. And then the next one, ready for this? Reasonableness, open to reason. Listen to how some... You know what the NIV translates this word? Submissive. You're like, I'm not submissive, I'm a man. Well, there are times that you, man, need to be submissive. Not to be a know-it-all and use your, your force and your harshness. The ESV translates as, as someone who's open to reason. Is that how people view you? Yeah, when I come to dad or I come to my spouse, they're, they're very open to talk about it. Or are they like, don't confuse me with the facts, I've already made up my mind. Or I saw a little, little um, magnet that said, I would love to agree with you, honey, but then we would both be wrong. <laughs> right? So, so do people view you as reasonable? Like, let's talk about it. The New King James translated, willing to yield. You know, do you even have a, a yield lane in your life? Or you're like, no, I'm right, and that's the way it is. And you can either get on board or get out of the way. So you're like, wow. Some of you are going, oh, I'm so glad my spouse is here. And you're like, stop that. Think about yourself. You know what my wife said as I was, she and I were talking about this passage? I don't know why, but she said, are passages like this hard for you to preach on? <laughs> like, no. Why? Why would that be hard to preach on? Like, I even asked her afterward. I said, do you mind if I said that? She goes, no. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yep. So, that's the beauty of the Bible. God's like, okay, let me change you. If you'll believe me and obey me, I'll change you. So he says, this is what God's wisdom looks like. It's full of mercy and good fruits. I like that. Full of mercy. You know, how, how, how do you respond when somebody messes up? You forgot what? You didn't, I told you right? Or are you merciful to others who make a mistake? As a parent, there's a time to be firm, but there's a time to be merciful, right? Full of mercy and good fruits. You know what I wrote down? Um, I wrote, does this sound like you in your marriage? You're like, why, did he, why is he addressing me there? How does he know me? Well, you don't know. Maybe I was talking to myself. Does this sound like you 
in your marriage? Pure, peaceable, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits. And then he says this. In fact, now the, the NAS says the seed whose fruit is righteousness, but literally it just reads this. The fruit of righteousness, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So he's really going to focus on this peacemaking attitude. But the fruit of righteousness, righteousness is just conduct that pleases God. Like that's a good thing. You and I want to have righteous conduct. We want to do the right things. We want to do what's right. We teach our children. But if you want to have the fruit of righteousness, it comes from God. And he gives us this wisdom from above. And so particularly what he wants to stress here is this peaceableness. Are you a peacemaker? Do you, not at all costs, but do you try to promote peace and dialogue? Or do you have bitterness and contention? And are you and your wife bickering and spatting? I hate that. I'm embarrassed of that. I'm preaching to myself, right? So as we close, let, let, let's go, okay, hmm. Haven't thought about wisdom for a while. Three things I want you to think about. Number one, what might Jesus want you to change in your perspective of wisdom? Perhaps your original view of wisdom is just to be really smart. Like, man, I got this, right? Or, no, I, I'm very competent at this. And James is going, well, let's not just think of wisdom as something that's an intellectual capacity. It primarily is, shows up in your character and the way, you, the way you interact with people. So maybe we should ask something like this. Having seen what godly wisdom looks like, is it possible to maybe have viewed ourselves more wise or wise when I probably wasn't as wise as I thought I was? Like, hey, I was right. You can even be right in what you say, but wrong and ungodly in how you say it and, and, and what your motives are for why you have to be right. So it's very humbling. Maybe you viewed yourself as a better parent, a better spouse, a better Christian, a better fellow worker. And then what happens is, in church when people don't agree with us and we're kind of like, it's just me and you and Elijah, God. And sometimes I wonder if we mistake wisdom and religiousness for selfishness. We, 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 as Jesus said, you're swallowing a camel while you're straining at a gnat. Don't neglect the weightier matters of the law like mercy and love. So yeah, maybe I need to rethink what real wisdom looks like. And then secondly, what about my practice of wisdom? I mean, I love giving counsel and advice. I, I, <laughs> I had an African man say, hey, in our country, and I forget which country it was, he goes, whenever I instruct my teenagers, they kneel at my feet. They won't even make eye contact with me as I instruct them. And I'm going, could you tell me how you did that? You know, is that, is that kind of how your kids are? You were as a kid? Yes, Father, please guide and advise me. <laughs> so how do I live this out? Well, a couple things to think about. How much of what you do and say is driven by selfishness? Like James is just going to hammer us. Like He beat me up last week, and I'm still on the ropes. And wait till next week. He says, you know what the source of most of your conflicts are? It's your selfishness because you want what you can't have. You're like, it's not my selfishness. It's, it's my spouse. Now fix them. And James goes, no, it's your selfishness because you want what you can't have. And when you don't get what you want, you're ugly. And I'm going, James, stop. So how much of what you say and do do I have to go, it's driven by my own selfishness. Not because these morons around me. So ask yourself, is your family 
your work and even your church relationships characterized by peacefulness on your part. Let me skip that one. How about this one? What might Jesus want you to change in your pursuit of wisdom? So, for example, do you consider wisdom something valuable, right? Is it something that you want to attain more of? Or you're like, yeah, I never thought about it. You know, I've been working on my golf swing or I go to the gym or I'm good at this or good at that. But how about wisdom? Are, are, you, are you pursuing wisdom? Because there's always the, the capacity to increase in wisdom. In fact, in its own ironic way, Jesus in his humanity, when Jesus was on earth, Luke chapter 2 says, Jesus increased in wisdom. So the problem is for some of you, you're like, it's really hard for me to imagine me getting any more wise than I already am, which goes back to the beginning. But for the rest of us who go, yeah, no, I, I probably need to work on this and grow in that. Let, let's think about this. Number one, the first way that we get wisdom is through prayer. Instead of just thinking, well, you know, I, I, I've been around the barn a few times and I, and I, and I kind of got this. I know how it works, right? So I just kind of just apply my, my skills, you know, my mad skills. Instead of going, no, pray about it. If anyone lacks wisdom, remember James? Let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach. So sometimes handling a dispute or, or what do I say to my kid or what do I say to my spouse or what do I say to my coworker or what do I say to a fellow Christian? Pray about it. God, give me this gentleness. Help me not to be wrong in how I say it. Help me not to be aggressive. Help me to know when it's an uncompromising truth of the Bible and when it's a secondary issue. And can I, can I be reasonable with others, even if I don't quite see it the same way? But it doesn't just come through prayer. In Proverbs chapter 2, it says, and I really like this verse. It says, if you cry for wisdom, lift up your voice for understanding. Seek for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure. So, so think about this. If, if, if somebody told you, and you believe them, there's a lot of silver and gold nuggets buried in your backyard. I suspect before I got to your house tonight, there would be holes all over your yard, right? And if you didn't find it the first time, but you knew it was there, I'd find you out there with your pick and your metal detector because you value gold and silver. Now, the Bible says wisdom is more valuable than gold, godly wisdom. Not a PhD and whatever, but godly wisdom is more valuable than silver and much fine gold. But you have to want it. You have to seek for it. And so God says, if you search for it like treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. And then he says this, for the Lord gives wisdom. Are you ready for this? From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Now, this is really interesting. If you, want, if, if you value wisdom, you'll be praying about it. You'll be seeking after it. And you'll be going, God, help me to be like this more. And he goes, absolutely, I give it. It comes right out of my mouth. Now, here's where a lot of people have a, a disconnect. They think that the, the wisdom of God comes directly from his mouth to their mind. He just downloads it. Downloads it. And the fact is, most of God's wisdom that he downloads does not come through his 
mouth to our mind. It comes from his mouth to his word. Right? This book is God's word. Right? And so as I'm reading the Bible and allowing it to penetrate my heart, as I'm believing it, as I'm, wow, I never thought of that, and applying it to my life, then I'm, I'm pursuing wisdom. I am becoming a more wise and godly Christian. And, and when you do that, because you know what? Isn't it scary that we all know people who know their Bibles really well? But if you'll allow me, they're jerks, right? And we're going, wait, what? I don't even understand that. There's a lot of nasty people who call themselves Christian. And sometimes I think we think, well, when it comes to politics, it's okay to be that way. Or you don't understand how things are in my home. And I go, yeah, I do. And the Bible tells us how things ought to be. So we all probably could say, man, I, I could use a little dose of that. And, and it comes in increments. You don't get it all at once. So, so I'm reading my Bible to become more like Christ, to become more godly. Ready for this? But this, to me, if you missed this one, whew, it's a worst-case scenario. If you grew up in a Christian home and learned the Bible, I didn't. If you had the privilege of somebody teaching you from the Bible from early on, you have to be born again. You have to be saved. You have to put your faith and trust in Christ. You have a unique privilege. If you grew up maybe in the typical Roman Catholic or Protestant liberal church that doesn't preach the pure gospel of grace through faith, Christ alone, faith alone, right? If you didn't have that, Paul says to Timothy, ready for this? He says, Timothy, remember that from childhood you learned the scriptures which made you wise unto salvation. So for those of you who grew up learning this book, right, and it's not weird to you to go, yeah, we read the Bible, we go by the Bible, you're blessed. For those of you that haven't, okay, it doesn't mean you're a mess, you're a fool, it just means you need to get on board with the Bible. Not with this church, but with the Bible, the words of Jesus. Okay, so it, it, frankly, I don't, it, Catholic, Methobacterian, atheist, it doesn't matter what your background is. But this is what Jesus said. This, is, this isn't like join our church. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate because broad is the road that leads to destruction. Most people are going to go to hell. So when you go, how could all my family be wrong? You know, this is what we were taught. Because it doesn't follow the Bible. And then Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life. The narrow way is the way of Jesus and the Bible. And a lot of people don't like that. Oh, you're so bigoted and hateful and so divisive. I'm like, no, don't shoot the messenger. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through me. So please, I beg you, if you're not sure if you're a Christian, you don't know whether you're saved, you don't know if your sins are forgiven, don't put that off. Jesus said, strive to enter by the narrow gate. And even if your family thinks you're crazy, follow the Bible, follow Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Pastor, beside like, uh, time's up. But you might be thinking this. Um, what does that have to do with wisdom? Like, do we get back to wisdom? Yeah. Because Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And if you read the Bible, that's in the Sermon on the Mount. And you know how the Sermon on the Mount ends? Not with blessed or the meek. This is how it ends. So anyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man. And you know why it's like a wise man? Because he says, because you're building your house on a rock. And that rock is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And when you throw yourself on Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm going with you. I'm a sinner, but I believe that what you did on the cross was all I need to be saved. Save me, Jesus. Change me, Jesus. Take me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. When you throw yourself on that rock, Jesus says, no matter what storm comes, your life won't collapse because nobody can take Jesus away from you. And Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. Everything else, he says, that's sinking sand. And if you build your life on a happy marriage or great kids or a successful career or good health and long prosperity and retirement, what's going to happen if that's taken away from you? Jesus says your life will collapse because it's on sinking sand. So the wisest thing that we all can do is come to the feet of Jesus. Trust him. If you haven't done this, give your life to him. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and Lord, and I don't care what other people think. I want to follow you. I want to be saved by you. But then if you have been saved, then Jesus, I want to be wise like you. I want to be a disciple. I don't have to wait till I'm a big kid. You can, a child can be wise because we have the Bible and we can learn. But it's not just like, all right, let's get some pounds. Let's all go out and be wise. We throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Lord, change me. You got me. When my wife said, is this kind of stuff hard to preach on? Yes. <laughs> to be honest, yes. Because I've got my daughter and son-in-law, my wife looking at me going, well, I see him at home, right? <laughs> now, I hope they wouldn't say he's the biggest hypocrite and glaring contradictions, but no, none of us has this perfect. But dare we just go, well, you know, you can't expect. No, James does expect that. That's the word of God. So would you join me as we pray? If, if you aren't sure you're going to heaven and you want to make sure right now, just say to the Lord Jesus right there in your seat that you believe that he died for you and you want to be saved. You want to be a follower of Christ. You want to be forgiven. And then tell somebody, come and tell me afterward. Or if you want to talk to someone, let us know. And for the rest of us, just take a moment and ask God to make you a more wise parent, a more wise spouse, and for us to have a more wise church with godly wisdom. Lord, we learn from this passage that it's not just what we know, but empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's who we are. Are we reasonable and gentle? Help us not to be quarrelsome and argumentative and proud people. May we be a unified, loving, growing church with godly, wise parents who we all admit when we're wrong and, and try to change and grow and be reasonable to others. Thank you for the journey that our church is on. You're blessing us. We're growing together, but we need you, Lord, and we pray for your wisdom. And we pray that we will be able to value wisdom as we read our Bibles and practice it as often as we can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Feel free to read ahead. James chapter 4 next week.